Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Easter to you. Uh, it has been uh, just an incredible journey of faith. Uh, our church, in the last three or four years especially, has really been leaning in hard, uh, growing in our knowledge, growing in our relationship, hearing what God is saying to us, and it has been just an incredible journey of faith. I was pondering recently how growing up, I, I had a, a home that I grew up in. They believed in Jesus. Uh, they certainly didn't disparage the cross or anything. In fact, we often would watch programs on TV, but I never got to go to church. And this morning as I'm looking around the empty pews, I think about, well, this is a little bit like my childhood and I don't like it. I wished I was with you and I know you wished you were with us, but here we are. I'm in your living room. One of the weird things I got to experience on Good Friday was I got to lead myself in worship. Uh, I watched the service online myself with my grandchildren. I got to be with my five-year-old and my three-year-old grandson and my little one-year-old granddaughter. And I got to have communion with myself, leading me in communion. And uh, that was just so, well, interesting. Uh, but the service, oh, the worship was unbelievable. And if you haven't watched the service, just want to encourage you to do that. And I want to talk about one other opportunity. I, I know a lot of us are getting a little bit, somebody this morning, a hugger said to me, when this is over, I'm going to go around and hug everybody. And uh, I'm not a hugger, and I feel like hugging people. But uh, I know this, we're kind of getting cabin fever. Uh, the weather outside has been not so great. But uh, you know what? God loves us, and he wants to uh, work inside of us. And we have this opportunity called The Way. It's a mentoring program, and my elders, uh, I've been walking through them in The Way, the material, and they are now ready to begin to walk other people through. We have two groups started, and uh, I, I hope you will consider. It takes about an hour a day, and about half that time is actually spending with God, both speaking to him, and listening to him. And so I just want to encourage you to go to gpac.life and sign up for the way, the mentoring. And uh, I think it would be awesome if we had a couple hundred people sign up. Uh, we've had about 20 so far. That's good. Uh, that's going to catch and make traction. But just want to encourage you in that way. Last Friday, just a few days ago, I ended the service with a well-worn statement that Friday's here, but Sunday's coming. And on Sunday, today, we celebrate that Jesus rose from the grave. We have to think about this clearly. For three days, his beaten, bloodless body lay in a grave. And on the third day, he rose again. Last night, as I was kind of going over the message, thinking about things, I, I wanted to get kind of an hourly timeline from, well, from Thursday in the Garden of Gethsemane right to Sunday, the resurrection. And I did a little Google search. And I started seeing, a, like, the top of my Google search. It was really weird stuff. I mean, the timelines were out. The days were out. The, uh, I mean, the conspiracy theory people were out. It was just, I just sat there and go, what's going on? And all of a sudden, I remembered, you don't believe everything that you read online. 
So I thought, well, no, I gotta go to websites I know that are legit. And I came across a website, the Desiring God website, and I found their timeline. And that one made sense. It fit the biblical narrative that I know, and it was correct and accurate. Oh, by the way, be careful what you're reading online, especially when it comes to God, when it comes to the truth. Uh, source your Bible first, look there first, and then maybe look for some reputable places online. So here we are on Sunday. And uh, we know from the scriptures that early Sunday morning, some of Jesus' friends set out for his grave to anoint the body of their friend and teacher. When they arrive, however, they are greeted by what one gospel writer calls, sorry, my screen just disappeared. They were greeted with what one gospel writer calls a man dressed in lightning. He tells them Jesus is, uh, is not there. As he said, he is risen. So what exactly does it mean that Jesus is risen? And what does it mean to us? What does it really mean to us that Jesus is risen? Uh, let's focus on Sunday but I want to backtrack just a little bit right to the point on Friday when Jesus has died. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, and we will discover something really interesting. So Jesus dies, and the curtain between us and God is removed. And the curtain between us and God, let's read the text, Matthew 27, 50. And when Jesus had cried out, again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I mean, to really understand what curtain he's talking about, we need to kind of understand what the temple in Jerusalem was like at the time. Now, basically, I, you know, when I look up the temple and I see it on reputable websites, by the way, and in my Bible commentaries, I find out the temple actually wasn't that huge in today's standards. But there was kind of a, a, uh, an outer, outer court where the non-Jewish people and some of the women would go. And then there was an inner court. And in this inner court, it was called the holy place. And it's the place where you only got to go if you had gone through a cleansing, ritualistic uh, uh, process. Then you could come into this holy place. And then kind of in the very middle, a little bit at the back of this big holy place, was another room called the Holy of Holies. It had three walls around it. And on the front, as you walked up, there was a giant curtain. And the scriptures tell us that this curtain was about a hand's width. It was that thick. It, it would be like if you've been in our Sunday school classes, we have these great big movable walls. I mean, it was literally that thick. It was, it was solid. It was protective. And in behind that room is a place where there was a offering table. There was a cherubim and seraphim. And the presence of God dwelt there. And in fact, when you read the scriptures, you'll find out that uh, even the presence of God had a little bit of a mist around it because when the high priest, once a year, went in to offer offerings, sprinkling blood of the spotless lamb on the offering table, once a year he would go in there, 
Uh, he had to be so careful. In fact, they would tie a rope on his leg just in case, you know, it's getting a little long, they'd pull him out. Because the holy presence of God, no man could withstand it. And it was even shrouded with this mist. So this place called the Holy of Holies had this curtain that was there to protect all of the people in the holy place who actually had gone through good sacrifice rituals, but it protected them from the Holy of Holies. The utter, complete presence of God. The Holy of Holies was a very special place. God dwelt there. As Jesus died, the text that we just read, the super heavy curtain that was as thick as a hand's width, it tore in two. This was right around the time when there was an earthquake that is, the scripture said happened. And the cursed curtain that separated the holy from the actual presence of God was torn. There is utter and absolute complete symbolism in what went on that day. The barrier between man and God was rendered removed. There was no longer a barrier. Something significant when Jesus died on the cross happened so that we could go now into the presence of God without all the rituals, but instead by the blood of Jesus. That blood as he hung on the cross that flowed out of his wounds and dripped down onto the ground. And the scriptures declare that whosoever believes in him, whoever receives him, will have everlasting life. Hebrews 10, 19 describes this curtain in a kind of a, a really cool and bizarre way. Listen to what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, listen to this, by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, Remember, Jesus died on the cross. He gave up his spirit. Verse 21. And since we have a great high priest. Now, who's the high priest? Here we are on Sunday. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus is now the great high priest. Am I the high priest? No. Am I holy? No. Am I holy in and of myself? No. In Jesus and his blood? Absolutely. Is the Pope holy like Jesus? Is he the high priest? No, he isn't. Jesus Christ today, the resurrected Savior, is our high priest. The text goes on to say, over the house of God. Jesus being alive means we have access to the Father. Verse 22, let us draw near to God. That would have been heresy in the time of Christ. To draw near to God, you had to go through all these rituals, washing, cleansing, dietary needs, certain clothing, confessions, sacrifices, blood sprinkled. You had to go through all these rituals just to go near to God. Now through Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, with the curtain's corn, torn, and we can go through to the presence of God. Let us draw near to God with, listen to this, a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. 
Now, I don't know if you've thought about the faith you have much. I don't know if you have really reconciled that these apostles, now there was 12 of them, one betrayed Jesus, killed himself, there was 11 left, the 11th was replaced, or the 12th was replaced with Matthias. These 12 apostles, in between Jesus' death and his resurrection, as we read the scriptures, they were denying Christ, they were hiding, they were scared, they were terrified, they would have nothing, they, they were just, no, I don't know him, I don't know where he is, I don't know, I wasn't there. But then when Jesus appeared to them, the resurrected Jesus, the high priest Jesus, the one whose blood gave us access to the Father Jesus, these 11 apostles, apostles soon to be 12, they actually became incredibly bold. And I want you to understand the resurrection of Jesus, the, the access in the torn curtain to the Father is something we can now have with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. I had to think on this a little while the other night. And uh, as I was thinking, how do, how do I get my head, how do I get our heads around this beautiful principle. And uh, I, I thought about it and I thought about it and I started thinking, when I got hired at Grand Prairie Alliance Church, we were in the old building down south where Victory Church is now. My first day I moved all my books and boxes into the senior pastor's office. Now I need to give you a little bit of history. I interned at Grand Prairie Alliance Church 20 years earlier. I interned under Pastor Victor Zacharias. Now, you need to know, I thought Victor literally could walk on water. I mean, I loved the man. He was the man of God that I longed to be. And I can remember in one of my conversations, I got to spend an hour with him, oh, once a week, and he would just sit and talk with me, and I would talk with him. And I remembered one of the conversations I said, uh, Victor, you know that I think the world of you, that you're just incredible. And he looked at me with his deep voice, and he said, Why? And I said, well, Victor, it's like this, like when you talk about God, when, when we're together or when you're preaching, it, it seems like you actually really know him. Uh, it's like he's your friend and you know his character and his personality, you know how he thinks. And I said to top it all off when you preach, uh, you just, and I think I even use these words, I said, you spew out scripture. You're like just quoting it left and right and pulling it out of thin air. And I said, man, you're incredible. And he looks at me. I, I think he even rubbed his chin a bit. And he said, Anthony, I'm getting old. And you'll be there someday. Now, I'm not gonna say I'm there. Oh, don't get me wrong about that. But I want to tell you something really clear. The only thing that makes Anthony anything, and Victor would tell you the same, the only thing that makes Victor anything was Jesus, his death, his blood spilt, and his resurrection. That is what makes us anything at all. Oh, if you had opportunity here at the church now, in our new building, the staff, a few of the staff like to call me boss. And uh, I, I think they mean it jokingly. Uh, I think it's okay how they say it. And, and well, um, some of you might think, well, the senior pastor, you know, if I could take you to my office today, I, I'd let you sit in my chair. You could even put your feet up on my desk and you could see what I felt like sitting in Victor's office. But, but don't misunderstand me. 
anything that I am today is because of Jesus. And in fact, I recognize it's Jesus, it's the title, it's the position, and I am just the same as you. And all of us together can grow in our knowledge and understanding of Jesus. And if you're not a believer yet, if you have not received him into your heart, if you don't have this, this wonderful soul work going on, oh, gee, I, I just want to invite you to come on the journey. I mean, everything starts to make sense, and everything is so much different. So on Friday, I was kind of working on the message, and I was listening to God about the scriptures we're going to go through, and all of a sudden, an old song chorus, usually it's played at funerals these days, but it's about 110 years old, and it's, I come to the garden alone, and the chorus popped into my head. Now, understand, the curtain's been torn. We now have access to the heavenly Father, Father the holy of holies, the, the person that literally, if we weren't cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus, we would die, and they'd have to pull us out with a rope. Listen to the chorus of I Come to the Garden Alone. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me, I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Oh, I remember as a child, my first Bible I was given in grade six. Now, I'd prayed to receive Christ a few years before that, but it was a Gideon's Bible. And I remember reading it. I think it was a King James Bible, which is about a 400-year-old language, English language Bible, and I just had such a hard time understanding it. But, but even at that, I, I read the devotionals in it, and they just were so powerful to me. And I remember that, that kind of tied me over a little bit. But then in grade 10, I started to learn about God because I started going to youth group at Alliance Church in Fort St. John. I got to know the Hogans who lived next door. I got to know Pastor John Clausen and the youth pastor at the time. And I learned some basic theology of who God is and how he wants to have a relationship. I mean, I, I believe I, I remember my first Easter in the church. I remember they did the spikes going into Jesus' hand. They had a dramatic presentation and I wept at the thought of what Jesus did on the cross for me. And so I, I learned lots of good and important truth, but it wasn't until I was maybe in grade 11, going into grade 12, I was a camp counselor out at Camp Sagatala. That's on Moberly Lake, not too far from here in Grand Prairie. And I remember the director, he got us all, he gave us a devotional every morning, I think at 8 a.m., and then he would encourage us, this was the first week of training, and then even while we had the kids, we had about an hour or two off, and we were encouraged to do this. And I remember going up into the boathouse. Now, if you were there 100 years ago, I'm getting really old. and I don't even know if the boathouse is there anymore, but I would go up into the boathouse. It was kind of open on the top. It had a loft. And I would read my Bible, and I would look out on the lake, and I would listen to God. I would let the scriptures penetrate my soul. In fact, I can remember being in that boathouse, and I, I'd look around, make sure nobody could hear me, and I would sing the songs that I was learning at camp. And boy, oh, I, I was entering into the Holy of Holies. And this is what Jesus' blood did. This is the power of his resurrection. This is the high priest of God, of the house of Israel. Let me ask you, 
Do you have hope? An anchor for the soul? Do you have hope and anchor for the soul? Hebrews 6, 19, oh, it puts it so well in the Bible. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Did you hear that? It enters the inner sanctuary. This hope, this anchor for the soul behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now there's lots of theology behind that and I won't go there, but I just want to say it again. We have hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Do you have that? Are you walking in faith with Christ? Oh, here's something I've noticed, and I've mentioned this before. It's, it's, it's kind of really obvious, and I've even seen it in myself as, as we go through these COVID-19 times, whether we're in isolation willingly or non-willingly, I've noticed two responses and a few in the middle, but not many. There's either those that are absolutely freaked out. I mean, they won't leave their house. When somebody comes to the door, they wave to them in the window and they take the package. And then as I went uptown shopping, people were bumping into me and not giving me my space. And and I was maybe being a little bit of the paranoid guy. But then there's those others. They're conspiracy theory people. This is overblown. This is crazy. And there seems to be uh, my feeling. This is really happening because we have a lot of fear. Uh, We don't like where we're being pushed. We don't like where we're being isolated. We don't like the economic difficulties. And this fear is bringing out in a lot of us the worst in us. I mean, I have not been the loving husband that my wife deserves. And we need to grow in who we are. We need this anchor for the soul which is firm and secure. We need to enter the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. We need to spend time with the Heavenly Father because of this high priest in the order of Melchizedek. No COVID-19 can touch this anchor. We have access to the Holy God, the inner sanctuary. We can sit at his table. Nothing, no nothing can separate us from the love of God. So why don't we go into the inner sanctuary more often? Uh, Why don't we spend time in his presence, especially when we're afraid, when we're overwhelmed? I believe, and I am convinced, it's because we don't believe we need to. And you might go, no, pastor, come on, I believe I need to go be in the presence of God. Well, why don't you do it? I believe we don't realize we can I don't know if you have comprehended that the holy, incredible God that up till 2,000 years ago, we couldn't even be in his presence. And now the curtain is torn and we can move into the presence of the heavenly father. We can speak to him and he will speak to us. Now let's think this through. In our prosperous society, where nothing seems to go wrong, and I know you've had it tough. And if it does go wrong, we can figure out a way on our own power and strength to recover or get a new job or or pull ourselves up by the bootstrap or our government will save us. Let's think about this. What if events lined up where you hit rock bottom with nowhere to go? What if society seem to be crumbling. 
if or when things improve and we get out of this mess that we're in right now, may we truly have a sincere heart with full assurance that brings hope as an anchor for our soul. Now, I don't know if you're aware of these scared disciples. I mean, there is a legend or history about how they actually, all of them dispersed out into all parts of the known world and shared about Jesus. And 10 of them were killed. Peter and Paul, uh, both were martyred in Rome about 66 AD during the persecution of Emperor Nero. We're pretty sure that actually did happen. Paul, the Apostle Paul was beheaded, the one who we read often in a lot of the books. Peter himself was crucified upside down, upside down at his request since he did not feel he was worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Philip, the Apostle Philip, possibly had a powerful ministry in Carthage in North Africa and then in Asia Minor, where he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul. In retaliation, the proconsul had Philip arrested and cruelly put to death. Matthew, the tax collector, the apostle, and writer of a gospel ministered in Persia and Ethiopia. Some of the, some of the oldest reports say he was not martyred, while others say he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. John... The only one of the apostles generally thought to have died of natural death from old age. He was the leader of the church in Ephesus area and is said to have taken care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in his home. During Domitian's persecutions in the mid-90s, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. There he is credited with writing the book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And an early Latin tradition has him escaping unheard after being cast into boiling oil at Rome. As I was looking through the internet, I have a few authors and readers. When I see their name, it catches my attention. And I caught a little thing from Andy Stanley. And he wrote a comment as he was obviously, I maybe presiding over or or in the least was grieving over the death of a young man named Josh Fenix. Let me read that to you. Perhaps the most remarkable yet overlooked feature of Jesus' vocabulary was the casual way he described death, him as well as others. When he told the 12 of Lazarus' death, he spoke in such casual terms, they misunderstood him entirely. Understandably so, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Why wake a napping friend, they wondered, especially one recovering from an illness. Jesus, of course, was referring to Lazarus' death, but his words left them with the impression Lazarus was literally asleep. Later, when preparing his disciples for his imminent death, he spoke so casually of it that they thought he was merely leaving the city. In the same conversation, he said, my father's house has many rooms. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, come back and take you to be with me. No wonder they were confused. Jesus reduced death to the complexity of running next door for a cup of sugar. His followers did the same. Paul, writing to the believers in Thessalonica, said, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep 
so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. Referencing those who had seen Jesus after his resurrection, the same apostle Paul wrote, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Why refer to death as sleep? Because people who fall asleep wake up. That's what Jesus taught and Paul affirmed. But we don't take comfort in this depiction merely because Jesus said it and Paul affirmed it. We believe because hours after Jesus predicted his own departure, he was arrested, crucified, and buried. Then just as he promised, he woke up. His followers took to the streets with the message that death had met its match. The rabbi from Nazareth was the resurrection and the life into one. Then Paul, taking his cue from Jesus, left us with one more insight. To be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. In conclusion, let me ask you. Do you have this hope? Are you born again? Are you born again? It's really simple. John 1.12 says, To as many as received him, to as many as believed in his name, he gave them eternal life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's really easy. It's really simple. You just need to receive. You just need to pray out loud. You just need to enter into the Holy of Holies in the blood of Jesus. And secondly, if you're born again, do you plug into the vine of Jesus often? Friends, Jesus brought a new age of reconciliation and intimacy with the Father. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, if there's somebody watching online who has not yet received Jesus, has not fully understood that through Jesus' body, we have this great high priest, the, the curtain, curtain has been torn and we now can enter into the Holy of Holies. By the blood of Jesus, by his cleansing power, by his resurrection force, we can now go through this great high priest and we can have a relationship. We can have a transformation of our souls. So if somebody's here today watching this service, may they stop and may they pray and receive Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died and on the third day rose again. I believe that you came to give me life and life to the full. <laughs> Would you forgive me of my sins? And would you make me whole? I want to start entering into this holy of holies and be reconciled to the Father. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.